Thank you for listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help you win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, come and see us and join the Passion Church family. Visit our Facebook page or our website at passionchurchmo.com to find out more about us. Jeremiah 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Verse 7. At what instance at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. Now, I know that sounds negative. Hold on to that for next week because next week we're going to get into that verse. Today we're going to stop with six, though. O house of Israel, can I not do with you? As this potter says, the Lord, behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in mine hand, O house of Israel. Now, last week, I'll just real quick pass in review. Last week, we uh, talked about how Jeremiah was a young prophet called as a youth and often had to face the fear of standing before the crowd and speak the oracle of God, which often concerned the condition of man, the condition of the nation, the condition of the church, condition of the people. And it's not easy to stand up and tell people sometimes you're wrong. That's a very difficult thing. And so this young man paid a great price for his ministry. As we t- said last week, you know, he was made a gazing stock. He was made a laughing stock. People made fun of him in the streets. They put him in stocks and made him stand there as an embarrassment for several days. Uh, he'd been, had several death threats against his life. And yet he never, he never stopped. Even while standing in the stocks and everyone passing by and making fun of him, He came up with things like, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. That if I shut my mouth, even though I feel intimidated, if I keep my mouth shut, something on the inside of me begins to burn. How many experienced a passion like that for Christ? You just can't be quiet about it. And so sometimes people around us get a little bit irritated with us because they don't understand the passion that burns on the inside, the importance of helping people win. So last week we talked about Uh, Jeremiah getting the call to go down to the potter's house. This was a a visual lesson for him that he might see what God had in mind. And in verse 3, it says, he wrought a work on the wheel. Now, I think we've all drawn the conclusion that when you read this, you understand that God is the potter and we are the clay. Individually, corporately as the church, and as a nation, we are the clay, the na- all the nations of the earth, all the people of the earth. We are the clay. We are the craftsmanship of the Lord. Take a look at your neighbor and say, well, you look like you're crafted pretty well. You are his work. <laughs> Be careful who you say that to. Make sure that's your wife you said that to. <laughs> so you are his work both individually and corporately as the church, as a nation, And I'm going to throw something out that might mess with you just a little bit. Can I mess with you just a little bit? All right. 
the nation should be a reflection of the church. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I felt that. There's woo right there. Yeah, see, the, the nation, every nation of the earth should look like the church of Jesus Christ. That's our mandate. That's our call. And when you look around and you reflect, it lets you know whether the church is doing its job or not. Now, there have been moments when great revivals would sweep in and entire nations would turn. There have been times when, when cities would be turned upside down, even here in America, when revival would come in. And revival would spread from one coast to the other and around. But when you look around today, you understand that there has been a breach somewhere and a separation of society from the teachings of the church. I don't lay the problem on society. You get that for free. Now, I believe that it's on the church. And anyone that tells you that God's not concerned with numbers doesn't know the word of God. We're not supposed to be happy to be our four and no more. We're supposed to be going into the highways and the byways and compelling them to come in. Because God is concerned with numbers. That's why he says things in the word like, I wish that none would perish. Who could say amen to that? So since we are his work and he has a plan for our lives and an end result that he desires for us, we've discovered last week that we all, in the hands of the potter, while he's working on our life, can get misshapen. We can get out of kelter. Sometimes there's a weakness in the clay. Sometimes there's a resistance in the clay as the potter forms it. As it begins to turn into the vessel he desires, sometimes it, it gets a flaw. It gets a bend that makes it and renders it useless to the potter. And we've all discovered that, that even in the midst of the hands of the potter, there are things that can cause us in life, in our walk with God, to become misshapen. Fear can misshapen us. Self-will can misshapen us. Tragedy can misshapen us. Temptation can misshapen us. Anger, that was one I really battled with, can misshapen us. Abandonment. Anger. Weakness. Failure, impatience, persecution can cause some people to get misshapen. Plain old sin factor in our life can cause us to become misshapen. Some people get misshapen through depression, some through rebellion, some through believing the lie of the enemy, some through sickness and disease. Some of us, it's just simply a lack of faith that misshapens us. Some of us, it's spiritual lethargy. That means I'm just too lazy to do what I need to do. Some of us, it's spiritual apathy. I know to do good, but right now, I'm kind of busy. For some of us, it's abuse physically, emotionally, mentally, or all of the above. For some of us, it's just simply perversion. Our eye catches something that our eye gate shouldn't be looking at. And the next thing you know, we've gotten misshapen 
out of the will of God. Now, I'm talking about the insiders, not the outsiders. I'm talking about the house of God, not those outside of the house of God. I expect those outside the house of God to not understand any of this principle, but for those of us who are on the inside who are making the way and we are the models of Christ to the world, then we have to take a look at this and take a hard look at who we are and where we are and how misshapen have we become in the hands of the potter. Is this all right with everybody? So many things can interrupt, distract, and even deter our process to completion and purpose in God. Today I want to share God's remedy for misshapen vessels. How many would like to know what the remedy is? Hold your hand up real big if you want to know. Oh, really? Are you sure you really want to know? This, this word repurpose means to adapt for use for a different purpose. Oh, already that screaming self-will's got to go. Slap your neighbor a high five and say, you listen up. This is for you, baby. Y'all are scared now. I can feel it all over. That's fear all over the house. How many times, church, have we allowed life and circumstances to misshape us away from the Father's intention? Everybody's looking at me like, I'm not saying anything. In other words, how Christ-like do we look in 2018? First century church, we know what they look like. It's recorded for us. And down through the ages, there have been glimpses in history of how the church has, has gone forward and waned backwards and gone forward and waned backwards. But I'm wondering today, how do we stand up? Obviously, as a nation, we're out of shape. And you see, God's not just concerned with the church. God's not just concerned with the individual. God desires the nation. And God always speaks to nations in the word. Now, the nation breaks down into the church and into individual people and into society. God doesn't just want the church. He wants society. He wants us all. And how many things he deserves to have us all? Amen. He's the creator. So, obviously, as the church, we're out of shape. It all starts with a people who are out of shape with God's word and intention. So you see the line of progression. If a nation's out of shape, it's because the church is out of shape because the individuals in the church have gotten misshapen. Slap your neighbor a high five and say, aren't you glad God's meddling in your life today? Mm. So how do we remedy that? Well, let me show you a couple of examples of a vessel repurposed. Let's talk about Moses for just a moment. In fact, before we do that, let's look at verse 4, then let's look at Moses. How do we become repurposed for God? Are you ready for this? And the vessel that was made of clay, verse 4, was marred. That means it was misshapen in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Would you throw up on the screen our title today? Repurposed for God. Repurposed for God. Now, you can see this is sacrilege to a, a musician. That is a, that's high treason right there. Am I right, Tim? That is high treason right there to take a guitar and make it into a shelf. What were they thinking? 
you see here, this is something that was intended for one use, but now has been repurposed for another use. I don't know if you're ready for this. Are you ready? Here's the first step in being repurposed for God. Would you show me the next slide? You see, what happens is the clay gets misshapen, so the potter starts over. And he has to crush. Oh, he has to crush what he started with in order to refashion it. There's no retrieval of something that is pliable in that state You can't retrieve it if it's gotten too out of shape. Once it gets too far out of shape, the only thing the potter can do is start over and crush it. That word crush means to put intense pressure onto something until it folds in upon itself. Oh, my goodness. We're going somewhere. This is going to mess you up. We've had three sermons so far today, a teaching, and now sermon number five. Mm. So I want to share with you, if I can, for just a moment, a couple of stories that will kind of bring us along the line to this understanding. Moses, who found out, raised in the Egyptian courtship, found out that he was a Hebrew slave and began to identify with his people and began to understand the suffering of his people. And Moses felt a calling on the inside, that little still voice, that unction that we all have that says, I need to do something about this. When God gives a man a call, it happens on the inside. It begins to work from his heart into his intellect that that there's something for you to do. There's an assignment. And Moses didn't miss God. He heard God. He understood something needs to be done about this situation. My people need to get free from this Slavery. My people need to be free from this tyranny. My people need to come out from underneath the whip of a taskmaster and become a nation like they were intended to be. He understood it, and something rose up in him in order to carry out that call that he felt on the inside of him. But you all know, and I know, that what happened was when he did it, he did it in the arm of the flesh, not understanding yet the molding and the shaping of the Father. He wasn't patient for God to get him in the right position and built into the fashion that he should be. And so he ended up committing murder and got himself expelled from the nation and became a wandering nomad out into the desert for 40 years. This man who was trained in a king's court suddenly found himself in trouble because when you try to do a God-sized job in your own strength, you will misshapen 
When your will isn't lined up with the will of the Heavenly Father, you'll get misshapen on the potter's wheel. Right in the center of the potter's intention. With his hands wrapped around your life, you can still get misshapen. You can still get out of whack. You can still miss the will, the intention, and the purpose of God. Is this okay? And so, with his hands around the vessel, Moses says, I hear you, God. Let's get this done. But in a moment of weakness, anger arose. And when a man is self-willed and won't control his anger, he ends up in trouble. And in an instant, because he was a trained warrior, he takes matters into his own hands and makes a mess for God. And then after he's gotten in trouble with the royal courts of Egypt, his name has been stricken from, from hierarchy and from historical records, and he's been banished to the wilderness. And when he left, the children of Israel were no closer to being delivered than when he attempted. Mm. crushed, deformed, pulverized, folded inward, compressed until everything collapses. <laughs> Forty years as a Bedouin, a nomad traveling in a tent, a man raised in a king's palace, a man used to finer things, now reduced to following sheep in the field. Now reduced to moving when the flock moves. Now reduced to waking up in a tent instead of a king's palace. Now having walked around in the desert for 40 years, all of the kingliness now forgotten long behind him. Here he is, wandering around behind the sheep. But what he doesn't understand is that God hasn't quit molding him. And just because it's taken some time, God is still molding him. God is shaping him. God is actually getting him where he needs him to be. Crushed when he left Egypt, it felt as though God was pulverizing him. It felt as though God was crushing everything in him. He had to leave with great longing in his heart. He lost two families. He lost his Egyptian family and he lost his Hebrew family. And all he was trying to do was do something good. And now he's crushed. He's folded in upon himself. But he's exactly where the potter needs him because the potter is kneading the clay and getting the clay pliable again and adding the right amount of moisture to get the clay where it needs to be so that he can put it back on the potter's wheel and begin to reform and reshape him for an even better purpose than the one he thought was his purpose. <laughs> It only took one encounter with God when the time was right and the clay was ready. 
It only took one encounter while traveling through the desert in his normal everyday duty. Suddenly this king of Egypt sees a, a, a bush that will not be consumed, but yet it's, it's on fire, but it's not burning up. And it's such a sight and a wonder, he has to draw close. And when he gets there, suddenly the voice of God reverberates from the situation and he finds himself prostrate on the ground, kicking off his shoes and bowing in the presence of the great I am. Mm. And this, this once man of stature and nobility is now a man who looks like a common man, who looks like a shepherd, who's bowing before a burning bush and hearing the voice of God. And suddenly he's now between the potter's hands being formed and shaped into something greater than the way life started for him. We think that the nobility was the pinnacle. But God says the humility is the pinnacle. When we become humble in his presence, that's when we become great. When you can be humble in the presence of God and stay on the potter's wheel and not try to jump off and get misshapen and get out of his will, God can do great things with you. Mm. So this one encounter has, has this man of great nobility who once was a great warrior and a champion. I promise you, he didn't have a stuttering problem until he got in the presence of God. We see that stuttering thing as though he suffered with it all of his life. He did not suffer with it all of his life, but he sure suffered it after he got into the presence of a holy, awesome, almighty God. He stood before kings. He knows what it is to bow before an earthly king. He knows protocol. He knows how to approach a king. But now, this is a king above all kings. And suddenly he realizes, I'm nothing. And in that place of nothingness, suddenly something begins to form. And you know the story. He goes back to Egypt. He goes back with the power of God. But this time... He says, I don't know if I can even do this, God. Look at the humility. It was nothing for him to approach the king before, but now it's in humility. Now he's clumsy. Now it's clumsy to say what he needs to say. Now he's struggling because he's so full of humility. The Bible says he became the meekest man on the earth. He went from great nobility saying what he wanted to say whenever he wanted to say it to, oh, God, I don't even know if I can speak your word. Would you send someone to help me? And through that man, a nation was delivered signs and wonders and miracles. As much as they try to prove these stories wrong, the more I watch the, the History Channel and things, the more they prove them to be right. And this man who once was a mighty king found his usefulness and his true leadership ability and his true delivering power in the submission of living for his God. A man always finds his greatness when he gets out of himself. I help more people when I stop thinking about me and start looking. 
When our heart becomes right, you see, before he wanted to be the deliverer, he wanted to be seen as the deliverer. Now, he didn't even know if he wanted to go back. But now God can use him. Mm -hmm. I'm having fun. Is this all right? I got to hurry. We got 15 minutes. I've only got 16 more pages of notes. We're almost there. So, that one encounter changed it all. Can I share with you one more of these stories? Mm. <laughs> this Egyptian who was created to be Egyptian royalty now has become a masterpiece of pottery on the King of Kings shell. I could go into a whole lot more stuff. I'm just going to leave it right there. But now, after being repurposed by God to lead a nation out of bondage into relationship with their God. See, before he saw himself as just a deliverer, now he finds himself repurposed as the leader of that nation, of the one who would deliver the law of God to his people. Now a leader of humility, the mouthpiece of God. He's humble, he's pliable, he's sensitive, and he's attentive to God's will and his people. And then there's another story that I, I, I see a repurposing in. How many are familiar with the story of Elijah? Elijah the prophet. And his story starts in a spiritual submission. He's a man that's not afraid to speak the truth, not afraid to call out sin, not afraid to challenge false religion, not afraid to call down fire on his enemies, not afraid to call down fire to ignite worship in the face of false religion, not afraid to call in prayer, to, to call for prayer uh, for the nation to be hit with a drought. He declared it to the king and to his perverted wife, and it all happened just the way he said. And after all of these mighty displays of God's power, after shutting up the heavens, after calling down fire, after dealing a death blow to idol worship, after eradicating 850 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, uh, from two major false religions, he, he eradicated all the false prophets single-handedly. And after that, he outran in a foot race the king's chariot to make it back to the gates of the city before it began to rain when he released the rain after a three-and-a-half-year drought. And after turning an entire nation back to repentance, this mighty giant of the faith who started out in faith and who worked in faith and was a mighty man of God only had one threat, one death threat, one death threat from one perverted woman and it caused his whole world to unravel and as his world unraveled he ran for the caves and he ran for the hills and he ran to isolate himself because weakness was revealed in Elijah's clay because he began to declare unto God in a place of isolation that God the nation is going to go to hell in a hand basket now because I'm the only one I'm the only one his weakness was revealed he was taking pride in the things that he was able to do under the power of God and God's unction mm. <laughs> so I alone am left God now, let me just tell you right now, no minister of the gospel worth his salt should ever consider himself a solo act. We can't do this alone. 
We're flesh and blood, the same as you. I'm not some exalted grand poobah. I'm the lead sheep. The lead sheep. But the problem is, is we get arrogant in the things that we've accomplished. And we look and see what God has done through us, and we start thinking and equating that we did that. When I look up here on a Sunday morning and we're packed, when, 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 when vacation is over and we are packed in this place, it would be real easy for me to say, look what I have done. But the truth is, is I did nothing. This is not a solo act. This is God using all of us together collectively to carry out his will. But Elijah got it all wrong. And now he's faced with the reality of his own weakness. And so he does what every worn out minister does. He isolates away in his man cave and laments his wasted time and energy on a hopeless gathering of spineless losers. Oh, I know that's tough. <laughs> He isolates away in his man cave and laments his wasted time and energy on a hopeless gathering of spineless losers. And he relishes in the glory days of when he was at the top of his game. Then God calls him out of the cave. You know the story. He calls him out and shows him great feats and thunder and mountains splitting and all these things happening. And then reminds him that it's none of these big boisterous things that you have done that pleases God. It's listening and obeying to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit that resides within man. Mm. <laughs> I want you to understand that obedience makes a vessel pliable in the potter's hands. Although Elijah was crushed, pulverized, Folded in, and it looked like it was all over. And this is the state you find him in. Next screen, please. This is the state he's about to step into. Because after the pulverizing, after all of the big mighty feats and the things that would build his name and make him popular with the populace, he finds himself now repurposed by God. He was repurposed to mentor two protégés who will do even greater things than he has done. He was a mentor to Jehu who became the anointed king. And this anointed king single-handedly destroyed Jezebel with a single command of his voice. The thing that made Elijah run and hide in the cave was really not a formidable foe to God. When God's on track, there's nothing can stand in his way. Jehu rides up to the palace, looks up to the eunuchs who are in her service, and says, hey, would you throw her out? And guess what happened? <laughs> Plop. That's all it took. And guess who was there to mentor that mighty warrior who became king? <laughs> and then he anointed Elisha, the prophet of double anointing. The prophet who did twice as much as Elijah ever did. 
You see, I'm in that generation now where it's time to hand the baton. And I don't want to miss my purpose in God. I don't want this to all be about me and, and to live the, relive the glory days of when I used to travel and sing and people wanted my autograph. Woo, wasn't that wonderful? It all faded away real quick. I'll just be honest with you. At the end of the day, that's all fleeting. And when the lights go out and life becomes real again, you're just a man. You're just a man. But Elijah encouraged Elisha, and Elisha served him and walked with him and understood spiritual submission and stayed with him and wouldn't let him out of his sight. And on the day that Elijah went out in a whirlwind, when the fiery chariot showed up, as he went out of sight, he dropped his mantle. And Elisha picked it up. And the first thing he did was part the waters so he could walk through. He hung that mantle around his shoulders and did twice as many miracles as Elijah ever did in his lifetime. And his last miracle, he had already passed from this life. And his bones were laying in a tomb. And in the middle of war, soldiers in a hurry took a comrade who had fallen in battle and threw him into the tomb of Elisha. That body touched the bones, the bones, not the body, not the flesh, the bones of Elisha, dead and gone, and went boom, right back to life. I want to be anointed to the bone, don't you? He was anointed to the bone with resurrection power. That's the kind of life that I, too, want to live. We're running out of time, so I've really got to fly. So I'm going to. I want to share with you just real quickly my own story. I have been repurposed by God. I heard the call to ministry in my spirit at the age of 12. I started in ministry in my senior year of high school, traveling with the Gospel Airs Quartet. It was a feel-good ministry where people clap for you and want your autograph and want to spend time with you and want to get their picture taken with you. That was before the days of selfies. We had to use the old flash cubes. I still see spots sometimes from all those pictures. I've ate more church dinners than you can imagine. If you don't like fried chicken and tea with no, with no sugar in it, then you'll never survive the ministry of singing. <laughs> but after serving in that ministry for several years, I had greater aspirations and wanted to be full-time and professional, and so I switched groups and went with another group that had the same aspiration, and they were just a little bit better musicians, a little bit better singers, and they really had an, an edge on it, and we were really starting to go somewhere, and we were beginning to get some recognition from, from Word Records and some, some other uh, outfits, and we won some major contests and got to sing with a lot of the, the professional groups on the, on the big scene, if you want to call it that. And in the middle of all of that, uh, if I was going to be honest with you, I was full of pride. And it's full of myself and full of me. And I began to misshapen. By the time I went from group to group trying to keep that dream alive, 
failed at my first marriage and everything in my life was falling apart and tried to go into business and ended up in bankruptcy. By the end of all of that, I was a man crushed, folded in upon myself. So I just floated around for a while just trying to find myself. Still loving God, still going to church, hadn't given up on God, but my life was a mess. My life was a shambles. I really wouldn't have been a help to anybody during that season of my life, if I'm going to be honest with you. Then the Lord led us uh, from our home church into a church over in Independence. We entered into ministerial internship there at that church. That's where we learned how to, to lead. We learned how to, to uh, counsel. We learned how to to take on the senior role by being the associate pastors of a church. That's when Pastor Colleen and I got married. And woohoo, the, the rest has been good. But that was a boot camp. We spent 40 to 70 hours a week working there, plus our jobs that we worked outside of the church because we didn't take a salary from that church. We became the associate pastors after a little while. And while we were the associate pastors, unfortunately, sin got into that camp. And here I was crushed again, just as we were on the rise, just as things were going forward, just as we thought we have the handle on where God is taking us, we were pulverized and crushed again. And so when we left that place, we wandered for over a year trying to get planted in a church and felt disjointed and felt out of shape. There's no abuse in this life a whole lot worse than spiritual abuse. And we went through it. We were called unholy and unrighteous and impure because we had to leave that ministry when it got into sin, and we had to bite our lip, and we didn't leave there in rebellion, and we didn't go out and try to start our own thing. We trusted God. And then we got planted into a small church. I taught Sunday school there. Colleen, believe it or not, was a children's pastor there for a while. That was the most well-behaved bunch of kids you ever saw. <laughs> and then <clears throat> we served that pastor for three years. And my real assignment in that, in that place, I carried no title, was not recognized by anything. And, and, and to my young generation, forget about all that. It means nothing. It means nothing. But here's, here's the beauty. My assignment there was to hold up the pastor's arms because he was struggling. He was an Elijah who was tired. And he needed someone to help him not quit the race. And I spent hours and hours, Colleen and I did, encouraging that pastor couple, working with them and behind the scenes loving on them and sharing counsel and doing a whole lot of listening to help them through that season. When they got through that season, they anointed us and released us to become senior pastors. And so <clears throat> as senior pastors, we started our church in 1998 in Lawson, Missouri, then moved to Excelsior after a year. After casting the vision, we began to build a staff. We began to gather believers. We began to train leaders. We began to disciple. We began to preach three services a week, not to, not, uh, to mention our schooling and our classes and our leadership courses that we taught. We developed outreaches, and you, you, you name it, we, we did it. Uh, 
recovering alcoholics, drug addicts. We helped those kind of people. We helped people from every walk of life. We, we even got it down to where we did nursing home ministry. We did, you name it, you name it, we did it. We housed people. We took care of people. At one time, my children growing up in my house thought all of their aunts and uncles lived in a rehab because they would leave rehab and come to our house. And so they thought that that was normal. They thought that was their aunts and uncles. They didn't know these are just people that we took in to try to help. We developed all of that. We even got it down to a hot rod club. We couldn't do anything but what it wasn't ministry. If we, if we did children's things, it was ministry. If, if I had a hobby, hot rods, and we turned that into a ministry and made it a, a club, and we, we got people born again and come back to the household of faith simply by driving a hot rod to, to an a auto parts store. It was amazing what God did there. We supported missions and took missions trips. We housed, uh, as I said, addicts and had the car club. And then somewhere around year seven, I entered into uh, what happened to Mo uh, Moses in that he was trying to be a one-man show, and I entered into burnout. And when I entered into burnout, I spent four years, four years in hell on earth. I never gave up the faith. I never quit. I never walked away from the pulpit. Most, most ministers who end up in a burnout do what Elijah did and run to a man cave and, and quit. I did isolate an awful lot for my people, and they felt that, but it was just merely survival in my heart and in my mind. Little did I know, I just needed to get before God and let him finish the crushing so I could become what he needed me to be. At the end of that four years, I found that place, and I said, okay, God, if you're going to pulverize me, then do it now and crush me completely because I don't want any part of me left. And I entered into what I call the all-out sellout. And in that moment, as I entered into that place, there was a reigniting of a passion for revival down in my spirit. As we got going, revival took off, and the church was going like gangbusters. Fire was in the house. People couldn't wait to come to be in the house of God. We couldn't even have a book study, but what the Spirit of God didn't show up, and people would end up laying on their face, prostrate, crying out, interceding before God. But just as it all got rolling and really going good, we had a staff rebellion and, and we had uh, elders that balked at revival and realized that after six months in, revival is costly and it's a very costly commodity. And They weren't sure they wanted to stay with revival. They weren't sure they wanted that. Couldn't we just go back to church as normal? So at the 12 to 13 year mark of ministry and raising that church up out of the dirt, one more crushing came. And we had to leave it all behind. If you raise something up out of the dirt, you understand that that's your baby. And when you walk away, a little piece of your heart goes with it and with those people. We were crushed and we walked away and we wandered around for two years in Kansas City waiting for God's next opportunity and God's voice. We went to many different churches, nothing against any of those churches, but we knew they weren't home. We knew this wasn't the end result. We knew this wasn't the final place for us. And just when we got comfortable with the little church and thought we were going to get in and really back that pastor, the Lord moved us again. This time, we went to Riverside, did a small little thing there for about six months, realized that wasn't working. It was like putting a square peg into a round hole. We were in the wrong place at the wrong time trying to do something good. 
So we packed it all up one more time. And then the call came. I stopped in here on a Sunday morning to, to meet with Pastor Sharon just to share with her. Hadn't seen her in a long time. Pastor Colleen and I was just wandering around the community. Miss Irene was there in that meeting. And when we came in, we started talking. We started sharing visions, sharing heart. And the more I talked, the more it sounded like she was wanting to try to hand me the keys. And I thought, I'm not sure this is right. But we went out and we had dinner and we talked and we laughed. And she showed us all around the building and everything. We, we went away and for two weeks we were gone and we could not get this building out of our heart. We couldn't get it out of our mind. We couldn't get Miss Irene out of our heart, out of our mind. She was the only congregate left whose faith kept this ministry alive. And we had about 19 people from Excelsior. That's men, women, dogs, children, the whole bit that had kind of waited to see where we were going to land, and they said, we'll, we'll help you, Pastor. And they came. And on that first Sunday, visitors walked through the door. I guess I didn't tell that whole story. We came back and had dinner with, with Miss Sharon, and you know the story. Miss Sharon, uh, we took her and Irene out to eat. We're sitting across the table out here at El Gay Restaurant and uh, sitting across from them, and I had to ask the question that no pastor ever wants to ask. And how do you ask another pastor, I think you should give your church to me? But after the prayer service that we'd had in here, we were sure that this was what God wanted, and so we sat down with her, and I said, Miss Sharon, i got to ask a hard question. Of course, she's got that southern Kentucky draw, and she goes, well, brother, you go right ahead and say it now. If she's watching, God bless you, sweetheart. And I said, well, there's no easy way to say this, but I'm just going to say it. I feel like God would have us to come. We feel and hear the rumblings of revival. And then she leaned back and folded her arms just like Miss Irene is right now. <laughs> and I went, oh, no, I've done offended her. I'm in trouble. She looked at me real intently, and then she leaned back forward, and she goes, Hallelujah, brother, I didn't think you were ever going to ask me that. <laughs> and so she handed us the keys. We started on Easter Sunday, and this next Easter will be the end of six years, the starting of seven. And since that time, the Lord has done great and wonderful things, brought multiplication we're getting ready to take over our new property out on the highway. God is doing such amazing things. But it all came out of being able to be crushed. Pastor Colleen and I understand the repurposing of a vessel. The remolding, the reshaping. After 41 years of ministry, we're here today and revival is right at hand. We've just come through a little bit of a slump, and now all of a sudden the life has returned. All of a sudden the spirit of Elijah is on the rise again. All of a sudden I feel like Elijah, but I don't feel like Elijah who called down fire. I feel like Elijah who trained Jehu and Elisha. I feel like I'm in that generation to train the next generation to turn their world upside down 
for Jesus Christ. To stand in the wings and to coach. To stand on the sidelines and say, you can do this. Don't give up because you have a side ache. Don't give up because your body's tired. Don't give up because you're sweating. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And so I understand the repurposing. Would you go to the last screen? And this is what God desires. He desires for us to come back to that place where we allow ourselves to be crushed over and over until he can get us right. And for every stage of my life, there's been a crushing. And it's taken me, it's taken me 41 years to figure this all out. But after 41 years, I've got it. That when God is through with one season of your life, you have to be remolded or you'll try to keep doing the same thing the same way you've always done it. And if God can't repurpose you, you can never get to his desired result. He just has to crush again and again. Until finally the self-will, the fear, the abuse, the sin, all of those things are eradicated from us between his hands. So we finally are finished in his presence. So I'm here today to tell you, don't fear God's repurposing. When everything goes backwards twice in my lifetime, twice I've given up every, how do I want to say this, every tangible, material thing that, that Miss Angel was talking about. Twice in my life, I know what it's like to go from ownership to nothingness. The first time was because of my own self-will that got me into trouble. The second time was my submission to God. I'll take the second one. It was a much easier lesson. And God has a design for you. There's not one person in here that God doesn't love, desire, want to help. You're not here by accident today. I apologize. I've gone a little over time. But you're not here by accident today. You're here because God values you. And he sees the end result. Go back to the last screen again. He sees the end result. And he wants to repurpose you. As many times as is necessary in order for us to be the prized piece of pottery on the master's shelf. He wants you. He desires you. He hungers for you. He thirsts for you. Can he do it without you? He can. But that's not his will nor his intention. When Jesus brought salvation to the earth, he brought it for every man, woman, boy, and girl. But he left us as our own self-willed moral guide. He left us to make the choice as to whether we want him or not. He made the provision. It is there. All he wants to know is, do you want what I've provided? And if you do, I can repurpose your life.
I can make it what you need it to be. When the sweet people from the outside that we come in contact with at Walmart and the gas station, the grocery store, who don't know they have a need for God yet, don't understand that there's a a God-shaped vacuum on the inside of every man. They need the opportunity to meet somebody who's been repurposed by God, for God. They need that. They need to see that there's another way than the way that I've been doing it. They need to see that there's a real humility and the churchgoers aren't some braggadocious bunch that think they're perfect. They need to see, no, we're people who've been crushed and crushed and crushed and crushed because we have a hard time getting it right. That's what they need. And that's what we need to give them. If you're streaming today, God bless you. I'm glad that you have joined us today. Thank you for your attentiveness. Thank you for staying with us for so long. Thank you for your great comments. We'd love to have you come visit us. I'm going to have everybody stand if you would. I'm going to ask a question today. This could have came anywhere in our service today. Oftentimes it comes early. But today I'm going to, I saved it till now. I want you to just think about your life and where you are. Are you with God or are you misshapen from God? Are you in the household of faith, but there's just things that are out of kelter and you know they're not in line with where God wants to go? Have you ever asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Have you ever asked God to fill the God-shaped void in your life? I didn't come here to judge, and I didn't come here to put down, and I didn't come here to be arrogant. I came here today because I understand what it is to go through difficulty and hardship and heartache, to be abused and to be taken advantage of. I know what it is to be abandoned by loved ones. I know what it is to hurt. I know what it is to lay awake at night with a tortured mind. I know what it is to be in a depression so deep you don't think there's any way out. But I also know that there's a reshaping and a repurposing in God that helps me survive it all. And I'm wondering today where you are. It's not my business. It's God's business. But as his spokesman today, I want to give that opportunity to everyone in this place and everyone streaming. If you're here today, real quickly, I don't want to embarrass anybody. That's not the point. But you're here today, and you recognize there's a misshaping going on, and you're just At that place where it's okay, God, you can crush me. I want to get started again. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, pray with me, Pastor. Thank you. That's honest. That's honest. That is so honest. Thank you. That is so honest. Very honest. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray with those who raised their hand. And I want to have the whole house help me to pray. And if you couldn't find the courage just then to raise your hand, you can do this right where you stand. This is an all-house participation prayer. I want you to pray with me right now. Those of you streaming, I want you to pray with me right now. doesn't matter what anybody around you thinks. Just pray out loud with us. Are you ready? 
Heavenly Father, here I stand. A misshapen piece of clay that you have a desire for. My life has gotten out of whack. I've been rebellious. I've been self-willed. And I've really gotten misshapen. But I don't want to be. I want to be in your will. I want to be in your way. I want my life to change. And so I am willing right now to ask you to come and crush all of the undesirable things in my life, in my heart, right here, right now, today. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to shape me, fashion me, mold me into a vessel that you would be proud to own. I'm ready, Lord, for a remaking, a reshaping, and a repurposing. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I will become a student of the Word. I will become a fellowship in the house of faith. I will become a person who pursues you in relationship for the remainder of my days. I say yes. Come into my heart. Come into my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that with somebody, grab someone and let us know that you prayed that prayer. We're so glad you listened to this message today. Our goal is to bring hope, encouragement, and help you win, all while building God's kingdom. At Passion Church, we believe in community. If you would like to partner with us in prayer or giving, then send us a message on Facebook or through our website, passionchurchmo.com. We'd love to hear how God is impacting your life through this ministry.